going to talk about the birth of Jesus today again. We've been talking about it the last few weeks. One of the reasons is because a lot of crazy things started happening after Jesus was born. And so we're going to continue in our, our, um, our walk and kind of sort of journey through the Christmas narratives in the New Testament Gospels. And we're going to look at a very familiar passage today. In Luke chapter 2, I was going to have Linus read it for us, but we're having technical difficulties, so you're going to have to settle for my reading. I don't have a security blanket up here with me to accompany me, but we're going to read from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And I'd ask you, if you have your Bibles, to, to turn there, and you can follow right along with me in your Bibles. I'll be reading from the ESV. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We're going to stop there. Now, you and I are sometimes tempted to think that the people who lived in ancient times, in biblical times, in this case, you know, a couple thousand years ago, were a lot different than us. Like, it's hard for us to relate to them, but I don't think that's true. We actually have a lot more in common with the people that we read about in the first century than you might think. They basically have the same problems and struggles that we have. The worlds we live in aren't really all that different. For example, when this event actually happened, the angels appearing to the shepherds, there's a lot of spiritual confusion in the world. People are wondering, where is God? What is God really like? Is God good or is he indifferent? Does he care about me or is he indifferent? Is God for me or is he going to judge me and punish me in the end and get me back for all of the bad things that I've done. What is God really like? There's also a lot of questions that people wondered about and a lot of fear that people struggled with. The birth of Jesus actually was an event surrounded by fear and terror and violence and weeping and loss. There was political oppression all over Palestine as the Roman government sort of strong-armed every city and town and village into submission. People were financially suffocated by these um, huge tax burdens. There were um, physical dangers and fears. There were very real political and relational fears in the hearts of people as well. And the average person in the first century world just had a lot to be anxious about. They had a lot to be anxious about. There were a lot of uncertainties. Nothing, nothing was all that secure. Especially if you were a Jew living in Palestine, 
when this event happened. And you know, our, our world isn't all that different. You know, if you watch the news, you know, the news is like a 30-minute program designed to make us afraid. It's almost like they're selecting certain stories and presenting them in such a way so as to say, hey, you have to know what's going on in your community and your world so that you know what to be anxious about, so that you know what you need to be afraid of. I mean, there's just a lot to be afraid of today. Financially, there's fears. Relationally, there are fears. You know, is this relationship going to last? Is this person going to make it to the finish line with me? There are physical fears. We can we fit, we fear illnesses. There's all kinds of cancers out there. You know, someone told me once, not long ago, uh, someone who's in the medical profession, if you if if you live long enough, you're going to get cancer. It's just everybody's fate. If anyone lives long enough, they're going to get some kind of cancer. We fear infertility. We fear sugar. You know, people are afraid of what sugar now can do to their bodies and or or processed foods. You know. There's all kinds of fears that we have physically. There's fear, political fears, and those are going to, just going to start mounting now as we approach 2016. You should be afraid of, the, of any president who's a Democrat. You should just be afraid of that person and what they could do to you and our country. Or you should be afraid of the, if, if this Republican, I mean, whoever's leading in the polls, that's the person you should be afraid of. That's what people are going to start telling us over the next few months, right? And then, of course, there are there's the constant threat of violence as mass shootings have now become commonplace. And every time there's another mass shooting, it seems like our nation, even if it's, you know, and, I, and I'm not trying to minimize it, but if even just a handful of people are hurt or lose their lives, our nation of 350 million people is, is just seized with fear and anxiety and sadness about the future because no, there's no place that's safe anymore. Fear has taken hold of everybody in some way. It's changing the way we spend our money. It's changing the way we spend our time. It's changing our assumptions. It's changing our relationships. It's changing the way we plan our futures. So our world is really not that different than the world that we read about in biblical times. There's, 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 it seems like there's always going to be so many things that we could be afraid of. But what fear really has to do with is the way that we relate to God. That's what, it, that's what it comes down to, I think. It all has to do with the way that we, we relate to God. And, and it really comes down to whether or not you have peace with God. Do you have peace with God? And here's why. Because we are told in God's word over and over and over again that if a person has peace with God, that if you have peace with God, you can become someone who doesn't fear anyone or anything. And if you don't have peace with God, you will fear all kinds of people and things. You might know that the most repeated command in all of Scripture, it occurs over 300 times, is the command, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And so I'd like to ask you this morning, do you have peace with God? And I, and I want to encourage you by saying that peace with God is available to you. 
that you can actually be in the presence of God and have peace. That's what we want. That's what we want. And that's, that is what's offered to us, I think, in this text. Look at the first, uh, verse 8 with me again. As we're introduced to this group of shepherds. It says, and in the same region there were shepherds. It is the same region where Jesus was just born. There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock at night. So here we have a group of shepherds who basically lived out in the fields with their flocks. And the reason they lived out in the fields with their flocks is because the the sheep, the flocks of sheep, needed constant attention. Constant attention. Okay? They weren't fenced in. Okay, they were in the open countryside, and so they could wander, they could escape. There were oftentimes wild animals like lions or bears or other beasts that would come in and attack the flock. And anytime that happened, the sheep would scatter all over the mountainside or the hillside. And the shepherds, one of them at least, would have to go out and, and find the sheep and bring them back. Bring them back into the fold, so to speak. Or not the fold, but back into their group so that they could continue to watch them and guard them and protect them. So shepherds were always... On the lookout. This was their job. This was their job. It was a low-paying, dirty, sometimes dangerous, and thankless job. No intellectual, refined, successful person really thought much of shepherds during these times. Shepherding was not something that the you know parents really wanted their kids to get into. It wasn't something that ambitious people aspired to. The assumption was that if you were a shepherd, God's favor might not rest on you. I mean, not everyone believed that, but some people did. Shepherds were common people. They didn't have money. They didn't have connections. They didn't have much influence. They were people of relatively low social and economic status. And there's nothing in the text to indicate to us that these were special shepherds. Like, these are the righteous shepherds. I mean, everyone else so far in the passages that we've been looking at that angels visited were righteous people. Um, Zechariah was a righteous man. You know, he was a priest. Mary, a righteous woman. Joseph was a righteous man. They all obeyed the law. They were all blameless. And they were living the right way. We're not told that. About the shepherds. So what is the angel doing visiting these guys? Was this some kind of mistake? I don't think so. Now I was, I was thinking about who are shepherds like? I mean, who in our day and age, in our country, would we compare shepherds to? And, and it's hard to really, to really say that, you know, they were exactly like this group of people. But if you think of truck drivers, you know, the guys who drive all over the country... These OTR dr- truck drivers, this is what they do for a living. They're on the road. They're driving the semis, you know? Think of, they have actually, I think, a lot in common with shepherds. They are common people. Blue collar, you know. They have a unique line of work that keeps them isolated from the rest of society, just like shepherds. You know, they're long, they spend long stretches away from home, just like shepherds did. It's dirty work. But it's absolutely necessary for the strength of the local economy. There's a certain stigma attached to truck drivers. You know, I mean, we don't want to, no offense to any truck, if there's anyone here who's a truck driver, please 
Don't take this personally, right? But there are stereotypes just attached to truck drivers, just like there are attached to other professions like lawyers and things like that, and shepherds, of course. Truck drivers, you know, relatively low on the social economic scale. Truck drivers have a difficult time getting involved in any kind of local church. Shepherds had had a difficult time doing any kind of religious activity. They couldn't keep, because of their job, they couldn't keep the ceremonial laws. They couldn't visit the temple on a daily basis like a lot of people did who were devout religious Jews. And truck drivers, because of their job, they just, most of them don't even try to get involved in a local church. I I actually uh, knew some guys who were part of this group. It was called Truckers for Jesus. They were, you know, um, open road truck drivers and, and they, every Sunday they would meet at a truck stop and they would hold worship services for other truck drivers. They, they were passionate about helping other truck drivers find forgiveness and new life through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and so this is their ministry. They do it wherever they are. Because who's going out to truck drivers? I mean, somebody has to, right? Those are, that's a special group of guys, but, these are not shepherds for Jesus, as far as we know. These aren't shepherds who are, you know, particularly concerned about keeping God's law. They're not, we're not told that they're righteous or anything like that. You know, one of my all-time favorite movie characters is a truck driver. His name's Jack Burton. From Big Trouble in Little China. Anyone? Thank you. You know, Jack Burton said a lot of memorable things in that movie. One of the things he said was, I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. And I think that's exactly what these shepherds are thinking when the angel comes in, you know? What did I do to deserve this? What's going on? Now, now, all that to say, there's a reason that you, there's a reason that I'm, I'm, I'm elaborating on this, okay? There's, there's a, I think this is important, that, that God sends an angel to shepherds. And here's here's why. Because this is about who has access to God. This is about who has access to God's voice. This is about God speaking to people who are afraid. This is about who has access to God's wisdom and power. What kind of people does God want to speak to? What kind of people is God seeking? What kind of people can be in God's presence and have peace? Nobody would have said it's the shepherds. They would have said it's the priests. Isn't it the priests, you know, the, those those men who are constantly seeking God and trying to do the right thing, those men who are representing the you know God to the people, aren't those the kinds of people that God is seeking out, the good people, the righteous people, the people that are at least trying to obey God, aren't those the people that God wants to speak to? No. Not according to this text. It's anyone who will humble themselves and listen. That's who God is seeking out. It's whoever God chooses to speak to. And this is a significant event. (laughs) I mean, God is about to do something he's never done before. He's going to enter the world as a human being. And who does he announce it to? Not the priests. He announces it to the shepherds. I think that's worth noting. And so we read on, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So the shepherds, they see the glory of God. They are literally terrified to the core. This word, this term, uh, great fear, 
It is, it's, it's all, it's, it literally means something like they were scared of a great fear. Like they were scared, scared. They were super scared. They were horrified. They probably thought, here's God standing here. What's he going to do to us? I mean, think about how terrifying it would be to stand in the presence of God if you didn't know God. I mean, I get, I get scared in the presence of a pit bull who's not on a leash if that pit bull doesn't know me. You know what I'm saying? Now imagine being in the presence of God. And God is not on a leash. He is, un, he is unveiled. His glory is in a bright shining light. How terrifying would that be for somebody who didn't know God or who you thought God doesn't know, maybe God doesn't know me. I don't know what God feels about me. They're terrified. Listen to uh, what Job says in, in the book of Job, maybe the oldest book of the Bible. Job says something very interesting about the presence of God in chapter 23. This is what he says. For I have stayed on God's paths. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. Here's Job saying, I've been living the right way. I took the right path and I haven't, I haven't gone astray. I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than daily food. He loves God's word. He loves hearing from God. But once he has made his decision, who can change his mind? Whatever he wants, he does. So he will do to me whatever he has planned. He controls my destiny. No wonder I am so terrified in his presence. When I think of it, terror grips me. God has made me sick at heart. The Almighty has terrified me. I mean, here's a man who took the right path. He obeyed God. He kept God's commands. And even he is terrified at the thought of being in God's presence. When Isaiah had a vision of God, in that famous passage in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, woe is me. I'm unclean. When the apostle Peter first sees God in the man Jesus, when he's in his boat, Peter says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. If you think all the way back to Genesis chapter, chapter 1 and 2, actually, actually it's later than that. It's after, the, it's after the fall. This is after Adam and Eve had decided that they didn't need God to be happy and that they, would, um, they were willing to take the fruit, the one, you know, the fruit from the one tree that God said not to touch, right? And they ate the fruit. And before that, you know, they would spend time in God's presence and enjoy God's presence. But as soon as they ate the fruit, something changed. They heard God, you know, coming and, you know, walking in the garden. And what did they do? They hid. They scrambled. No longer were they at peace in God's presence. And all throughout the scriptures, we read that when people are exposed to the presence of God... They're filled with fear. They hide. They scramble. Why is that? Well, I think it's because when you're in the presence of God, and I've never had an encounter like this, okay? So I'm not speaking from experience necessarily, but when you're in the presence of God, you, you realize that no matter how good you think you are, you fall short. You fall short of God's glory, Okay, when you're in the presence of God, you realize that God has every right to end you. Right there. And that's not a peaceful feeling. 
But there is a way to be in God's presence and have peace. And the shepherds, they see that they're in God's presence and they have nothing to shield themselves. They have nowhere to run. And yet listen to what the angel says. The angel says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. He he says it's literally, I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Not fear, peace. Among those with whom he is pleased. Now, now this is important. The angel did not say, behold. I mean, the angel sees, every time we, you know, we have an angel encounter, they, they see the person is afraid. And the angel says, behold. You know, fear not. I bring you good news. But, but here's what the angel doesn't say. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the good people who've done great things. That's not what he says. He says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Whether they're good people or not, whether they've been consistent or not, whether they've obeyed God or not, whether they've chosen the right path or not, whether they're ashamed of their past or not. I bring you good news for them, for everybody. You know, all our lives we've been told that people get what they deserve. Isn't that what we, what we have been told? People get what they deserve. If you work hard and do what's right, you'll be rewarded. If you take shortcuts and cheat and lie and steal and live selfishly, you'll suffer the consequences. You know, we see that the coach always picks the, the talented kids and the good kids and the hardworking kids. The parents always reward the good behavior and punish the bad behavior. But God is doing something right now that has nothing to do with your behavior. I know that all your life you believe that God is for the good people and he's against the bad people. But right now in Bethlehem, something is about to change God's doing something he's never done before. And it's going to change the way you think about God and the way you relate to God. You don't have to be afraid anymore. God wants to speak to you. He wants to be with you. Don't even think about it as you trying to get into God's presence. God is coming into your presence. He's coming into your world. He is lowering himself and he's doing it for one reason. To save us from our sins. Why? So that we can have peace. So that we can have peace in the presence of God. That's what salvation means for us. And this phrase that the angels sing in their song of praise. Glory to God in the highest. And listen to this. And on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. Those among whom God is pleased. 
That last phrase, peace among those with whom he's pleased, is followed by an exclamation point in the ESV. And I think that's appropriate. And here's why. This phrase actually indicates that God chooses people to give peace to. That God God chose the shepherds. The shepherds didn't choose him. God chooses those who will experience his peace. And and it's a personal thing. I mean, think about the angels' visit. I mean, the angels' announcement to the shepherds. Unto you is born a Savior. Unto you. This good news is for you. You will find the baby. It was very personal. They didn't deserve this. God chose them. It's grace. God chose them by grace just like he chooses anyone who hears the good news of Jesus Christ and and believes. It's God's sovereign choice. It's his grace for sinners. There's nothing we do to deserve this news. There's nothing we do to deserve this gift. It's all God's grace. It's almost, I was thinking this last week, it's been almost 15 years. Actually, it's been a little over, it's been a little over 15 years since I proposed to my wife. We were, it was late in the summer. We were up at Devil's Lake with a bunch of family and friends, and I did it sort of in public in front of all these people we were close to. It was really, I was really nervous, and it was, but it was really exciting, and it was, um, she had no idea it was coming. And it was one of the, it was something we'll always remember for the rest of our lives. It was just a really special thing. And my, you know, um, Vicky's family got to participate in it a little bit. And, and she was just blown away. And the best part was she said yes. You know, that was the best part of it. And, but one of the things that, and one of the things that made it so exciting for her was that I made her wait so long. Uh, which she didn't appreciate as much. But hey, when I did it finally, it made it that much more awesome. And she said yes. And when I proposed to her, she knew. She knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that she was wanted. That I wanted her. That I wanted to be with her the rest of my life. And, you know, more than anybody else. That I chose her to be with me. And that that relationship would be the most, you know, significant, sacred human relationship that either one of us would ever experience for the rest of our lives. And I wonder sometimes if she still knows, if she still knows that I, that I would choose her. You know, because after that, you know, it's a one-time thing. You propose the one time, they say yes or they say no, and you move on, right? And you, you know, we got married, and, you know, now we have five kids, and it's easy to forget <laughs> how special that choice is. And, 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 you know, after being together for, you know, after being married for 13 years, I sometimes wonder, would she still choose me? You know? If she could do it all over again, would she still choose me? Husbands and wives, you know, we need to be reminded by our spouse that yes, after after 13 years, after 20 years, after 30 years, and seeing, you know, all your worst faults and all your flaws and all your, and all your potential and all of, you know, all of your strengths and all of your weaknesses... I would still choose you. I would still 
choose you over everyone else. We need to be reminded. We need that reassurance. We need that affection. We need to know that we're still wanted. And you might be wondering, what does that have to do with with me and God? And here's what I think. Here's what I think this has to do with you and God, and, and, and God and me. I mean, I need this too. Some of you have you started out in your relationship with God, and things were really good. You know, it was exciting. You truly believed that God was for you and that he was covering all of your sin through the blood of Jesus and that nothing could change that, that he wanted to be with you and he wanted to share his joy and his peace with you and that he was going to finish what he started in you and all of those great promises that we cling to as disciples of Jesus. But something's changed since then. Maybe you've been walking with God for many years now and you've drifted or you've wandered, or you've walked away. And now you wonder, would God still choose me? Does he still want me? Does he still want to be with me? Does he still feel the same way about me? Does he still love me? Well, does he? You know what I'm going to tell you, don't you? God's attitude towards you, God's affection for you, his love for you, his feelings for you have not changed and they will never change. They will never change. You are his child. Nothing you do could separate you from his love. I mean, there's that passage in Romans 8 and we don't usually think of Romans 8 as a Christmas passage, you know. But it is. It is a Christmas past. Romans 8, and we're told that Apostle Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor, think, nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is God's mind towards you. If you are trusting Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And nothing's going to change that. Before Genesis even happened, God chose you to be in Christ. That's the best news there is, isn't it? In in, uh, John chapter 10, Jesus said this about himself. In John chapter 10, verse 27 to 30. And once we read passages like this, it's, it's no surprise that God appeared to shepherds on that night. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now that's Jesus speaking of himself. But listen to what God said way back in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34. In the Old Testament, this is what God said. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away. And I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. This is, this is God's mission to us. 
This is why Jesus entered the world. And then, of course, there's passages like Luke chapter 15, where we read about, you know, the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and the one sheep wanders away and the shepherd leaves the 99 other sheep in the open country and he goes after the one sheep until he finds it and he brings it home and there's rejoicing when that happens. God loves rescuing lost people. That's what God loves to do. And he doesn't do it out of obligation or because he has to, because at one time he said he would. He does it because he loves to do it. He, this is what God lives for. Every time he rescues just one person, there's rejoicing all over heaven because that's when God is at his best. God is the shepherd who goes out to find the one lost sheep. He's the shepherd who forgives over and over again. He's the shepherd who's persistent and patient with his sheep, even when they wander, even when they forget him, even when they walk away from him or give up on him. Time and time again, God pursues us and he chases us and he finally brings us home. So why would we run from him? Why would we be afraid of him? to be in his presence why would we not want to be in his presence when he's given us access to him by becoming a man he loves us he loves us that's what this text shows us now you and i can be afraid of a lot of things there's so many things that steal our attention away from god and his peace some people are afraid of being found out, you know? They, there's, there's so many people who keep others at a distance because if they let other people too close, they might see, you know, what we're really like and we might no longer be accepted. And we're just afraid of being rejected by others. So we keep them at arm's length. That's a very real fear, real fear that a lot of people are living with. Some people do not share this gospel of great joy with others out of fear of rejection Parents make decisions from fear all the time. How many parents here have parented from fear before? You know, we're afraid that our kids will be influenced by the wrong people or see the wrong movies or listen to the wrong music or, you know, so we're always trying to protect them from the wrong kids or the wrong people or the wrong environments. There's lots of parents who will practically do anything to ensure that their kids are on the best team. Because if they don't get on that team, they might never reach their full potential. And that's a, that's a very real fear that they have. Some people are afraid of joining a church or even going to a church because they're afraid they might get hurt because they've been hurt by churches before. Some people are afraid of getting caught and the consequences that will follow. Some people are afraid of commitment in relationships because they've gone, they've gone all in before with someone. And then that someone abandoned them. Now they're afraid to go all in again. Some people are afraid that they might never have a baby of their own and they're afraid of losing that precious dream. Some people are afraid of losing their income or their home. Children are afraid of all kinds of things. Children are afraid of the dark. They're afraid of bullies who say or do things that hurt them. Some children are afraid when their parents fight because they're afraid their parents might not stay together. And some of those fears are legitimate and some are not, but this passage tells us 
that God entering the world as a human being means that we don't have to make one more decision from fear. If we would only listen to God and believe what he says, we wouldn't be afraid. We should have a peace that can't be shaken by our circumstances. Not even our sin can separate us from God anymore, we're told. We don't have to fear God's presence. There's one more verse I'd like to share with you out of 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4, which we're going to be, by the way, I forgot to tell you this, we're going to be starting a new series next week in the letter of 1 John. We're going to go through the whole letter together, and I'm really excited about it. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, this is what we read. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So when you relate to God, do you, do you think about punishment? Do you fear punishment? Are you afraid that God is out to get you or that he's disappointed with you or that in the end he's going to judge you? If you really feel that, feel that way, then why would you celebrate Christmas? What do you have to celebrate? What do you have to be happy about? What possible joy and peace could you have in your life if you don't have that with God? Because Christmas is about God announcing to common people this message. Do not be afraid. I've decided not to pay back the human race. I've decided I'm not going to give everyone what they deserve. I'm not going to act towards you based on your behavior and character. I'm going to act based on my character. I'm not demanding that you find a way into my presence. I'm coming into your presence. And I'm doing all of this because I love you. And I love you with a perfect love, a sacrificial love. I'm going to do everything necessary to give you the peace that you need. I'm going to remove your sin and your guilt and your shame. And I'm going to do it by sending my son to you. And I'm going to punish him instead of you. On the cross. On the cross of Jesus Christ, our judgment day happened. We have nothing to fear anymore. And if you believe this about God, you'll want to be in his presence more than any place else. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your grace that you've shown us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word, God, that gives us hope and encouragement and joy and peace. Lord, there are people today, even people in our own, in our own congregation who have a lot of things to be anxious about. There are people who, have, who, are, who are afraid of losing someone or something that is precious to them. But God, I ask that you would remind us today in the depths of our hearts that Jesus Christ is the most precious person that we have. And through Jesus Christ, we have peace with you because in the, by the blood of Jesus, you have covered our sins. And you've given us our, his righteousness And because of the righteousness of Jesus, which you've given to us, we can stand in your presence with nothing to fear and we can experience your joy. 
to the full. So we pray, God, that you would encourage us this morning with these words and that your spirit would rest powerfully on us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.